You've survived the worst. Trauma, loss, rejection. The reality is, your pain can be a crutch, or it can be the thing that launches you. You're listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you experience true freedom and breakthrough. Tune in each week as guests share their incredible life lessons from their personal stories and hear from experts who can give you the tools you need to stop surviving and start thriving. Here to help you find purpose through your pain is your host, Joseph James. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great show of Purpose Through Pain podcast. I am your host, Joseph James, and today I have a really good friend of mine over these last couple months, pretty average golfer, I should say, but Travis Chappell is with me today, and he is the founder and CEO of Guestio. It's a new software that connects high-level guests with high-level content creators. He's also the host of the top-rated show, podcast show, Build Your Network, in addition to being featured in Entrepreneur, NASDAQ, Yahoo Finance, and Read and & White, and Travis has been featured in Forbes as a top 10 podcast that will change your life alongside people like Joe Rogan, Gary Vaynerchuk, Tim Ferriss, and many, many others. Travis, thank you so much for coming on the show, brother. I really appreciate it. What's up, Joseph? Happy to be here, man. I think the highest praise in that intro was calling me an average golfer because... Man, I'll take that as a compliment all day. Hey, brother, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you, so I'm not even hitting average yet. So. <laughs> I'm hitting them everywhere, technically, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but hey, how many people can say they played golf in Costa Rica? That's that's true. Yeah. That's true. Our professionals, that's about it, probably. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, so, there, can't be, there can't be too many courses out there, but the one we played, I thought was super nice, man. Was that, that, was, that was between the birds on, I think it was hole number eight, you know, that had that yeah. light power up kind of the monster iguanas that were walking around oh lord like one, one of them was like a dragon bro i was like whoa <laughs> yeah that, that's where the whole play it where lies just kind of goes out the door i'm like not exactly <laughs> yeah it's like well i have a lost ball now is what i have yeah <laughs> exactly I, yeah i can't imagine how many of those things have been uh have been chewed up and eaten and yeah and, and, you know so my brother thanks so much man it's, it's truly an honor to have you on and for those that really don't know Travis out there, Travis is the one that's responsible 100% on getting my podcast, really teaching me and getting it off the ground, showing me the ins and outs of, of how to do this and really giving me the encouragement to, to launch this because I had I was overwhelmed, didn't know what to do, had tried to take a couple different courses. And finally, Travis, um, I got an email one day at Travis offering, you know, a pretty much a walk you through it kind of thing. And uh, I took him up for it. And uh, I even persuaded him to, to spend an extra day with me uh, doing so, uh, which I think part of that was playing golf, too, you know, so. <laughs> but uh, Travis, it wasn't wasn't a bad way to spend an extra day, man. That's for sure. <laughs> not at all, man. Not at all. So it's all about that network and that building those relationships. Yes, so, sir. hundred percent. Travis, you, you've gone through some pretty, pretty nifty stuff in your life. And of course, being an entrepreneur, starting into that entrepreneur as a, as a young kid. But take me back to those days where, you know, you were very young and, and your, your mindset and where you were at that's led you into the things that you're doing today. Yeah, sure, man. I think I kind of always had that entrepreneurial itch, I guess you could say, um, when I was a little kid. Um, I would take these little like creepy crawly bug things that I made at home and uh, take them to school, sell them to the other kids. Uh, you know, if it was if it was like multicolored, it would be a quarter. You know, the regular ones they were just a dime. You know, I'd sell like the bigger ones for more for more money and stuff. And 
Um, it was kind of like it was, it was kind of it was like the boy version of an Easy Bake Oven. You can make these little like creepy crawly bugs. But anyway, I, I don't know what it was. I, I think it was just a you know the desire to make some money and have some ability to go buy a toy that I wanted, combined a little bit with the inability to take authority at their word. Uh, I think that's kind of what the entrepreneurial itch really is, and uh, that's definitely what I had. And, and it kind of continued throughout uh, throughout school, uh, definitely into high school. I uh, started a landscaping company and then uh, even through college with door-to-door sales and and all that kind of stuff too. Just got, always wanted to have a little bit extra money, you know what I mean, and, and have the freedom that came along with it. Yeah, no doubt. Is that the way you grew up? Is that the 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 lifestyle, the atmosphere at home was was business-minded, entrepreneurial-minded, or was it just something that just kind of like popped in your head one day? Yeah, you know, my dad was a real estate agent from the time that I was, I don't know, three, four years old or something like that. So I grew up in that type of a household where, you know, there, there was like food wasn't put on the table from a guaranteed paycheck. It was, you know, highs and lows and mountains and valleys and everything in between. And especially the first few years my dad was doing it, um, it was scraping together pennies before he really started like, you know, cranking and figuring it out. And, uh, uh, so I think, I think that definitely has something to do with it, but you know, at the same time, my sister, we're only 18 months apart and, you know, she's a school teacher, so she doesn't really, she's not really in the entrepreneurship space. Uh, so I, I think that it, I think that it's kind of a, a, a combination of, of just like, I think I was, I was kind of born with that or was in my blood a little bit. Um, and my parents definitely didn't discourage it, but the way that I grew up was super, super religious and everybody else did discourage it. And so I didn't, I didn't really, you know, flesh it out to its fullest extent, I think, because I was always, uh, I always thought I was going to end up in, you know, in ministry at some point, uh, which obviously didn't end up happening. When, when they would discourage, how did you deal with that? What did you deal with that discouragement? I mean, were these just people in the church? Were these family members that were close to you? How did those words affect you? Yeah, that's a good question. And and to be clear, it wasn't like a, hey, you're 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 pursuing money too much. Stop doing that. I mean, that that almost was exactly the advice that I got when I was getting out of college and making a decision of what to do with my life. But like leading up to that point, it wasn't really that. It was just more like, here's all the amazing benefits of going into ministry. Here's why you should be in ministry. You know, people are dying and going to hell type of a thing. Like, how are you gonna do anything else uh, other than prevent people from dying and going to hell? Because 10 people just died in the last four seconds. And you know, statistically 80% of them or whatever, you know, went to hell. And it was just like, oh man, you're right. How do I do anything in my life other than do this one thing? And and that was just kind of the path that I was put on. You know, we had church three times a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We had chapel during school. We had youth conference, missions conference, leadership conference, revival, you know, uh, teen camp and winter retreat and all these different uh, things. And so we had church just constantly, constantly. It was always, you know, church. And we, the particular campus that I grew up on, um, and I say campus because it was literally like a 40 acre campus. The church probably when I left had seven or 8,000 members, pretty big church. Um, and re- really like the biggest church in that entire movement, the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And so I grew up going there, uh, went to the school from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade, graduated from high school there, then went to the college that was on the same campus. So kindergarten through college, I went, I went to the same exact campus for all of my schooling. So every, all of my authority, you know, was the same. My teachers were my youth leaders. My youth pastors were my teachers, you know, uh, my friends that from the youth group and church were my friends in school. Everything was the same. It, it was, it was like growing up in a bubble. And so they didn't really have 
we didn't have career counselors or anything like that in school. It was basically one of two things. You go into ministry, you don't go into ministry. If you're going into ministry, there was no other option. They didn't present, like if it was like, oh, you're called to go to ministry, here's a list of 30 universities and colleges that are in seminaries that will help you do this. It was like, here's an application to our college. Like there was no other option, you know what I mean? And then, and then if it was, uh, I don't want to go into ministry, then they were just like, all right, well, good luck. You know, there was no further in, you know, inquiring about like, well, do you want to be an engineer? Do you want to, you know, be an architect? Because if you want that, you're gonna have to get these grades and go to this school and apply here. There was none of that. It was just like, you're going to, if you're going into ministry, great. Here's an application for the college on our campus. If you're not going into ministry, then, uh, you know, good luck. And that's why most of those people ended up you know, the non-ministry crowd ended up doing more things like the local junior college or the military or, you know, being a prison guard or, or something like that, because, you know, those were the only really other options that were presented. Wow. So when, when, when that was going on, I mean, ultimately, you really didn't have people encouraging you to go the direction that you were going. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Like uh, the, the business route, you know, was definitely so what I alluded to earlier uh, was when I was getting out of college, I was I had done door to door in college and, and I kind of showed uh, some some that that was a strength of mine. Yeah. You know, I had kind of like risen to the top of, of that of that culture and was one of the, the top sales guys um, that was there. And I really enjoyed it, you know, and, and what was weird to me is that I was interning my junior year at a church, like the entire, the entire year. So every weekend, my junior year of college was spent like being a janitor and like cleanup crew at this church in Newport beach. So every weekend um, after school Friday, we drive down to Newport beach, stay there Saturday, Sunday, drive back Sunday night, get back in time for school Monday morning. And we would just clean up around the church, do all the tasks that the staff didn't want to do. And I was like my first glimpse of being like in ministry and, and I didn't like it at all. And I found myself always wanting to get back to school so that I could go back and, and do my, my, my sales job, uh, which was kind of counterintuitive at the time. And it started making me worry because I was like, man, I'm, I'm doing this thing on the weekends that I'm supposed to be doing for the rest of my life but I find myself itching to get back to school so that I can do this thing that I'm supposed to be quitting in the next four or five months after I graduate. You know what I mean? It was just like the first time where I was like, oh man, what do I do here? And, but, uh, but anytime that you like vocalizing those types of things in that world is, is really, uh, it's taboo. Like you're not, you're not supposed to, you know, vocalize your doubts of your call to ministry. And so I just kind of kept it to myself and sleepless nights. Uh, you know, I, at the time I was dating, my, my now wife, Jackie. Um, and, and she, I, I mentioned it to her one time and she kind of like, you know, mini freak out on me of like, well, she, you know, cause all she wanted to do was be youth pastor's wife and stuff. And so it was, it was very, it was very, um, very much a taboo subject to talk about potentially not being in ministry after this is what you've been dedicating your life to, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, another one bites the dust type of mentality. Um, and so I had a meeting with one of the higher ups at, at the church and, and the college, and I remember going in there about to tell him like, this is what I've been wrestling with. You know, what, what should I do here? Try to get some life advice around where I should be headed. And uh, as soon as I mentioned that I was, you know, thinking about doing this sales thing, his exact words, I'll never forget him, was basically, well, that's just the money talking and sooner or later, you're going to have to give that up and go into ministry. And then move, like moved on to the next topic of conversation. It was like, whoa, like this is something I've been wrestling with for months at this point, losing sleep, getting sick to my stomach, you know, and like you just, just like that took care of the whole problem. Didn't want to hear me out on it. Didn't want to hear my perspective on it. Didn't want to ask some further questions about how I was feeling about it. Just immediately like, nope, you're wrong. This is what you should be doing. Um, and so that was, that was just kind of the culture, man. Was that a big determining for, I mean, you, you already knew that ministry wasn't for you. You were already experiencing that. You were already wrestling with that, but was that a straw that broke the camel's back right then? Or was it just more like, 
okay, this is really making me lean away from it even more and more as you went on? It was just really discouraging. I don't remember making a decision in that moment, but I just remember thinking, man, this is really, really discouraging. I thought I was going to get some clarity out of this meeting and now I'm just more confused than ever. And uh, so it eventually just led to me taking a job in ministry at the church that I was interviewing at. Uh, but this particular pastor was actually a reasonable human being. And uh, he he basically was just like, look, man, I don't care in what capacity you guys come out. I just want you guys to come out. He was like, you can work secularly and be a layman in the church. You can work part-time at the church. We have this position for part-time. We can work full-time at the church. We'd love to have you full-time. We'd love to have you part-time. But if you don't want to do either one of those, we'd love to have you here. We just, we just want good people to, to be a part of our, uh, of our community that we're building. And I was like, that's something that I resonate with. So uh, I ended up moving there and I just told everybody that I'm going, like when they, when they would ask about the ministry that I was serving and I was like, oh yeah, I'll just tell them this ministry. Um, even though we had kind of like a different arrangement worked out and I wasn't going into full-time ministry, I just kind of like told people like, oh, that's, that's where I'm going, you know, just to kind of get them off my back. And, uh, and then that, that was what I said for the subsequent years, you know, following that as well is just like, oh yeah, I'm up, I'm up, uh, you know, in Fresno with, with, uh, with Joshua up there and right. um and that that was that was enough to kind of get me out of the uh out of the heat of those conversations and dude it was funny as soon as i moved up there got away from the because this is the first time i ever been away from this this world i i'd, I'd been to that church since i was three years old and started going to kindergarten and, you know, obviously when i was five so literally my entire life was lived there within four weeks of not living there and being out on my own with me and my wife I decided that I wasn't I wasn't going into ministry. All I needed was those four weeks of being able to get to know myself outside of the context of being pressured in that world. And I was like, I'm 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 done. I'm I can't I'm not pursuing this path anymore. Yeah, yeah. Did you see then or what at what point did you recognize? You know, we've all heard the saying of if you hang around five millionaires, you'll be the six. If you hang around five sure. entrepreneurs, you'll be the you know, things like that. But of course, you couldn't help what you were being raised in. That was your yeah, that was your parents' choice for you. Okay. Yeah. The church, you know, the, the, the church, ministry, the school, the campus, things like that. But when was it that you realized, because when you moved away and you went to work for somebody else, you said that he had a kind of reasonable mind about him, you know, and so you started to definitely see that, hey, he's given me a choice in life. I, I, I'm yeah. getting a choice now for the first time. Did, what, did that hit you then or did that hit you later? That's just like, okay, I actually have somebody that I can, because you can learn from people like that. Yeah, right. right. Giving you the free will to make the choice on your own. Even if it's not something you want to do in life, you can still you can still draw from that. Yeah, no, I I, I told, I had a conversation with this guy probably like, I don't know, a year ago, six months to a year ago. And I was like, man, I just want to thank you uh, because I, I appreciate you for being one of the first authority figures in my life that actually told me, like, look, Travis, if you don't want to work here, not only do you not have to work here, but we don't want you to work here. You know, yeah. like it, it's not good for anybody. If you feel like you're being obligated to work here because because of some authority in your life that's making you feel like you have to be in ministry, like you're not going to be 100% in on this job, which is doesn't which isn't good for the position itself. It's not good for you. And it's not good for uh, for our church, for the people that you're going to be ministering to. And it's not fair to the person who could potentially be taking this job and really loving it and pushing it forward and doing a really good job. Like, it's not fair for anybody if you don't feel like you should be here. Yeah. And uh, it was the first time. How, how basic and simple that sounds, it was the first time anybody told me that. And I was like, oh, okay, well, then I... I, I don't, I don't want to be here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just so simple after that when I realized that like, oh, I don't have to do this. I, I can actually make a decision that is based on what I feel like I want to do. Yeah. So where did you feel like your heart was at? Where did you feel like your heart was dedicated to? I don't know. You know, I, 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 I it's hard to say from back then because I don't really remember exactly, but I, I just, I just knew that 
I just knew that that wasn't for me. I, I, I was just like, I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to end up doing or where I'm going to end up being, but this isn't it. You know what I mean? I, I just, ha I had enough clarity to know that if I did this, that I would probably end up being resentful or spiteful at some point. And that's not the kind of life I want to live. Yeah. Do you feel like you were following your heart at that moment, even though you really yeah. didn't know? It was the first time ever that I felt like, like, because up to that point, man, it's like people would make it seem like, no, 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 you, you, you really do want to do this. You know, like, you know, like, trust me, you do want to do this. It's just that the devil's telling you that this other path is going to be better for you. But trust me, if you get on this path, you, you're going to be happy with that decision. And even though I felt conflict with that, I was just like, oh man, I, I just might, I, I must not be close enough to God. You know, I must be letting the devil affect my decision-making too much because it doesn't feel like I want to do this, but that, that can't be God. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was like this, almost this guilt of like the, like I felt guilty for the lack of desire that I felt to go into ministry. And it was just like, it was just, it was, it was a total, it was a total mind F, you know what I mean? Like, I just was like, I, I don't, I don't know what to do here. And so for the first time ever, I was like, I can actually make a decision based on what I feel that I, I, I really kind of want to do, you know, what a no, novel concept, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, growing up in church myself, you know, it's like, it never, it never failed. One thing that I've learned is like, it always seemed like everybody else can hear the voice of God for you, but they couldn't yeah, hear it. Right. Exactly. Everybody wants to tell you like, oh, that's not God. Oh, that is God. Oh, that's not God. That, they like, they put it in these buckets. Like, there's no way God would want you to do that. Only God only wants you to do this. And I was like, how do you know, bro? <laughs> how do you know? What are you talking about? I'm feeling a tug on my heart to go that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what are you talking about, man? You, you don't know. And nobody does know. Only you know. Yeah. But you know, the thing is though, so Travis is you are in ministry right now, man. You're touching thousands of people, man, through what you do right now. Yeah. What's interesting. Uh, that was one of the first things that I kind of came to the conclusion of was, um, at that particular ministry, you know, when, when there's a church of 8,000 people, there's a thousands, almost a thousand students on the college, several hundred students in the, in the school, you know, the 40 acre campus, like there's literally people there that are quote unquote in ministry, but they do maintenance. Like they mow lawns at the church or they're in ministry, but they manage the kitchen uh, for the college or the, you know, I don't know. I, was, I started like looking at that. I was like, the job that they're doing is literally just a secular job. It's just yeah. that their paycheck says the church's name on it. Is that more noble or more in ministry than somebody who's working a nine to five and still does the same exact amount of quote unquote ministering, you know, like being a youth pastor or preparing a lesson or watching a Sunday school class or whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's literally the same amount. It's just that one of them gets a paycheck from the church and one of them doesn't. And the guy that doesn't get a paycheck from the church is like three times the amount of the guy with the paycheck from the church. And that sounds a lot better to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just doesn't, it didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense. You know, it's the janitor that holds all the keys to the doors. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What, what most right. people consider the, the very bottom of the barrel of a job. And I don't feel that it is at all because you, you've yeah. got this everywhere. You know, yep. and, right, you know so we were literally cleaning toilets, man. That was our job. So yeah, I'm been there. I'm been there. You, man. So you left, you left the church, you left the campus where you're at. Now you're at a point in your life of this is not what I want to do. Ministry is not it. Okay. When did you start the door to door sales? It was immediately because that was really all I knew how to do. You know, I, I just graduated with a, an unaccredited degree in Bible and church ministries, which doesn't really lend itself to easy, you know, job hunting. Right. <laughs> so uh, so I, it was like, man, well, what do I do? Like, am I going to go get like a, you know, $30,000 a year desk job working at some dead end place that I don't want to do? Or do I just keep doing the thing that I know that I'm pretty good at that has the potential to be able to make six figures with a more flexible schedule? 
And that was what I ended up doing. So um, yeah, I just did, I, I got recruited into this other company doing door to door. And uh, really what ended up happening is when we, when we moved to, to Fresno, um, I wanted to buy a house. And uh, I had not been 100% commission long enough for the bank to take my income as, uh, you know, for us to be able to secure the loan. So I did an internal transfer at the company I was working for to get a salary that, so that I could afford to qualify for the, for the home loan, which is what prevented me from being able to take the part-time job at the church when we first moved there because they made me work on Sundays. So that five-week period of time was the only time in my life I've ever had a nine-to-five where I reported to somebody else. And two days after we closed escrow, I quit the job because I hated it. By that time, I decided not to be in ministry, and somebody had recruited me from that from that job into door to door sales, and uh, I started going door to door, you know, towards the end of that year and doing it full time, um, and then you know made it my goal the next year to try to hit six figures, which ended up happening. Now, there's there's something about door to door sales that teaches you that a lot of people don't like, and that's the power of hearing the word no. Mm, Tell me, that. talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. You know, there's a fascinating book. And, and podcast called How I Built This by a guy named Guy Raz. And his book just came out, I want to say like maybe a year ago or something, six months to a year ago. Uh, and and it was the result, a culmination of doing years of his show for NPR called How I Built This. And he talks to all of the top business owners in Silicon Valley, like the people that are running these high, high, high growth businesses uh, that are worth billions and billions of dollars. And uh, when he was doing his podcast tour to promote his book, the question that kept coming up over and over again was, hey, how did you, uh, or what, what's a common denominator of all the successful people that you've talked to? You've talked to so many successful people at this point. What's something that you've realized is something that they all have in common? And in multiple interviews, he said, uh, every person that I've talked to that has this much success has the ability to handle rejection well. They can get told no and move on to the next opportunity with the same level of enthusiasm. And they can do that over and over and over again. And that is one of the biggest common denominators. And if there's anything that Door to Door teaches you, it's it's that. Yeah. That you it, you get rejected in in every imaginable way, you know, like in a in polite ways, in rude ways, in, you know, people not even saying anything, just closing the door on your face in the middle of a sentence. Like you, you get rejected in a very, very wide variety of different ways. And you have, you have to learn how to overcome it and move on to the next door um, with the same level of enthusiasm as the previous door. And uh, that, was, that was a huge takeaway for me that I, I think has really helped even in, in you know, every other uh, pursuit that I've had since then. Yeah. I have a little confession to make in the, in the midst of all that is I never did door to door sales. I mean, I, you know, when we were growing up in church, of course, we would go door to door to witness to people, things like that. Right. You know, at about, let's see, this was 2011, I think it was 2010, 2011. I bought a German shepherd. Okay. And, uh, because I was traveling with our sports team, uh, at our local college, I was doing my undergrad and I bought it to protect the house. And so Mm. I taught him that when people would go to the door and these massive big front oak doors with glass, you know, that he would run and charge the door, jump up on the door and bark. Okay. And so anytime that I would see somebody coming, I would say a word and he would charge the door. And I'm not going to lie, brother. I think it was just more funny to see people run than it was even answering the door to tell them, Hey, look, I I just don't have time to talk, you know? Yeah. Right. So, but I'm sure that there's, you know, I'm sure you have some stories. Oh, so many of those, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I personally have, and you know, I have, I have my own German, she's actually laying right next to me. I have my own German shepherd. And uh, so I, I feel like a lot of people were hoping that would happen with me where I would run away, but I, I would just stay there and wait for them to come to the door anyway. And then I would do this thing where 
I would just, you know, their dogs barking. You know, people like open the door and they like pretend like they're like holding their dog back and they're like the doors opening and closing a little bit and they're trying to, you know, barely hear you and stuff. I would just talk to them normally, like like just like this, talk to them like this. Their dog's making a bunch of noise and, and barking and they're and they can't hear at all what I'm saying. And then I would just take like a step or two back away from them. Most people, most people get closer to them and yeah. speak louder so they can hear them. I would speak totally normally, expecting them to hear me. And when, when they didn't hear me, I would take a step back and and kind of move my hand like that. And uh, and then they would uh, close the door behind them, leave their dog inside, and we'd talk on the porch. Is kind of was my workaround for that. But um, but yeah, interesting. That's pretty neat. So for a lot of people, especially myself, the word no had a very negative impact on my life, okay? Mm. I dealt with a lot of rejection growing up, rejection from my father, and it wasn't necessarily always the word no. However, you know, you can get rejection, you can receive rejection in a lot of different forms, you know? But once you have it and it has a negative impact on your life, then you start to avoid it, and you avoid it at all costs because how does, what is an easy way of rejection? The word no, okay? And so for me, always being told things from my dad, I dealt with emotional rejection from him, not yeah. him not being a part of my life, him not wanting, you know, it was always this is good enough, this is good enough. Well, that rejection then stemmed into, you know, relationships or me even trying to pursue relationships because once I heard the word no the first few times, that same emotional feeling of no came into the same emotional feeling I had with my dad. Yeah, sure. So the easy way for me was to avoid it all. And when we were in Costa Rica, you started to talk about how to overcome and push through rejection. And that really, you know, I went up to you afterwards and I talked to you about this is really what I want you to talk about. You know, the power mm-hmm. of overcoming rejection. Because for me, Travis, and I know we haven't had a really chance to, you know, dive in, in deep, but you've heard some of the podcasts is you know, this stemmed, rejection stemmed to me until uh, last year, 42, 40, uh, you know, I'm almost 43 in two more months. Yeah. And when my wife passed away in 2019, and then the following year, when I started to put myself out there for dating again, I remember the, I, I, I can't remember the girl's name, but I remember the, the, the episode or the instance of when she messaged me on Instagram and says, don't ever message me again. And that was the rejection. And it stemmed up in me. Like I just felt my blood, just like my whole entire body just got hot. All of a sudden I felt sick to my stomach. I like, I remember where I was at. Okay. And uh, I'm like, I almost, I almost left work, you know, and I'm in a business. And so rejection has a very powerful connotation to a lot of people. But when you begin to talk about the power, you know, of overcoming rejection, it really spoke to my heart, man, because I'm just like, I've just had to learn how to fight through it, forgive myself, and then make it more about, it was never about me. Mm. But talk to me about, you had mentioned about three C's on how to overcome rejection. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure, man. So um, this is one of the first talks that I ever gave, you know, like post ministry. So like growing up, I gave a bunch of talks like all the time. Um, and, and, you know, we, we, it was preaching essentially. Um, and, and I used to do that all the time. But um, when I started getting into the business, I started realizing like, oh, you still talk, but you just talk about different things. And so one of the first things that anybody ever asked me to speak on, uh, because it was pre, you know, podcast success and, and, and pre, you know, software and, and pre everything else was just like, man, it's fascinating that you've been able to do door to door for multiple years and not, you know, kill yourself. <laughs> so how do you do that? 
And uh, so I came up with this this kind of quick outline and and I'll, I'll share it really briefly so that we can kind of focus in on what I think is like the most crucial aspect of it. But the, the three C's to overcoming rejection, the first one's conviction. Conviction is all about being convinced of whatever it is that you're trying to sell. And, and this, and by the way, this is not just for sales. This could be for, you know, you're, if you're doing a job interview, you're selling yourself. You know, like everybody's selling something at some point, uh, you know, at, at, at any point of the success journey. So you have to, first of all, have conviction about what you're asking about, meaning that you have to believe in your product. You have to believe in your service. You have to believe in your what. You have to believe in your why. You have to have enough conviction deep down inside of you to be able to go in for the ask to begin with. Because most people won't even do that. You know, like most people won't, most people are too afraid of rejection. They won't even ask at all. So conviction is about the ask. If you, if you're, if you're convinced, fully convinced that this product, this service, this job, this opportunity is, is where this person that you're speaking to needs to be, then that gives you the ability, the, the freedom to be able to ask for the sale or ask for the job or for the promotion or whatever it is that you're asking for. So the conviction allows you to ask. Um, and then one thing that I usually touch on when I, when I talk about the conviction piece is that you also have to be convinced of the worst case scenario and think about the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario in every situation where you're afraid to ask, the worst case scenario has already happened. The worst case scenario, if you ask somebody for something is what? They say no, right? Absolute worst case scenario. They go, no. And then you go, okay. And then that's it. That is the absolute worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is you don't get the thing that you want. So if you're already in the worst case scenario, like that's already happened because if you don't ask, they're not going to offer it, Yeah. right? So like the the, the only thing to be gained is the ask because that's the only way that something can happen for you is if you ask. Otherwise, you're just, otherwise you're just guaranteeing the worst case scenario is going to happen. Like if you don't ask, you're just guaranteeing the worst case scenario. So ask because there's only possible momentum moving forward. You can't get worse than the situation that you're already in because you're already in the worst case scenario. So ask is the first thing. Have conviction about it. Believe you know, that's why you, you got to believe in your product, or your service, but if you're, if you're, especially if you're in sales or selling something, got to believe in your product, or your service. Um, if you don't fully believe in your product, like if, if, if you're uncomfortable asking people for a sale, when you're in a sales conversation, you really got to ask yourself, do I fully believe in this? Because if you don't fully believe in it, that's, that's probably where that's coming from. If you fully believe, if you 100% fully believe that what you're selling is totally worth the price that you're selling it for, then you should have no problem asking for it because it should add value to people's lives and it should be a fair value exchange for the money that you're asking in exchange for that product or that service. And if, and if, you, if, you're, if, you're, if you're feeling something inside that makes you like not be okay or comfortable asking, it's probably related to that in some way. You don't fully believe in the product or service that you're selling. So that can go, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that can go, I know you're talking about sales and, and your product, but for me, I didn't feel like, you know, me, myself, I was handsome enough. I could bring things to the table as a, as a man, you yeah. know, I was a skinny, scrawny kid that was always bullied. So I just, I, I didn't have that, confidence, you know, and yeah. so and stem over to, you know, not only the sales, but also as we are as an individual, because yep. You know, on the podcast, we deal with a lot of people that deal with pain and, and, and trauma and grief and a lot of just emotional, you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You'll never yeah. make it without me, you know? And I mean, that's encouraging just to hear because we can apply that to anywhere about the conviction of 
no, I am smart enough. No, I am good looking enough. Or no, I can, I can do this. I believe in this product. I believe in me as the product. Yep. Yep. hundred percent, man. So got to have, got to have the conviction to ask in the first place. And then uh, the second C is consistency. You have to ask a lot. So it's conviction, right? Go in for the ask. Number two is consistency. Ask a lot. Meaning that, meaning that some people drum up enough courage to ask the first time, but then they get rejected and the turtle goes back in the shell. And it's like, well, that didn't work. So I guess I'll never ask for anything again. Wow. And it's like, no, like you have to ask a lot. You have to be consistent. This is probably the most difficult part of the process because, because this is like, this is the point where you're still proving to yourself that it's possible, you know, and this is especially in a sales context. If you're, if you're selling a product or a service and you just like, every, like you already, like most people already have that imposter syndrome going into it of like, I don't think I can do this. So when you start getting evidence to support your internal belief that you can't do something, it's get, it gets real scary real quick. And that's why people quit. So, you know, especially when I was doing door to door, if you're in network marketing, if you're in real estate, or if you're in like one of these, these low barrier to entry, but high potential reward type industries, like those ones that I just mentioned, if you're in those, that's why the turnover rate is so high because people already disbelieve you that like, oh, you can make a million dollars being a real estate agent. That's unbelievable because I make $30,000 a year at Starbucks or whatever. You know what I mean? So like, uh, how can I make a million dollars a year as a real estate agent? And then they go out and they start pounding the phones and starting to get people on the phone to, to set up a, a listing appointment or whatever. And, you know, they get, they do a hundred calls the first week and they don't get any appointments. They're like, see, told you. You know what I mean? Like I can't do it or it's not possible or whatever. Um, so this is one of the most difficult parts because you got to be consistent. You got to trust the process, but you got to do it until you get at least a yes. It, once you get a yes, two yeses, three yeses, now you can start at least calculating the data and looking at it and being like, all right, it took me, it took me a hundred and it took me 112 calls to, to get a yes. So let me just see if I can put it, if I do another 112 calls, can I get another yes, right? And, and I'm just making up numbers here, by the way. Of course. Um, so like if you do another 112 calls, then you're probably going to get another yes in that, in that 112 calls. But the cool thing about it, man, is like the more you're consistent with it, the better you're going to get at the thing that you're doing. Um, and those numbers are going to start to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller before you get to a yes. You start to learn that like, oh, maybe if I call at this time of day, people have a more likely chance of picking up the phone. Maybe instead of doing my cold calls at this from this time to this time, I'm going to do them from this time to this time because I'm getting a better response rate on those ones. Or maybe when I do, you know what I mean? You're going to learn, you're going to get better. You're going to uh, look at the data and analytics over a long period of time and get better at that thing. So conviction, <sighs> consistency, and then the last thing, and really it's honestly the, the most important thing is, um, is confidence. Rejection, like rejection hurting you is purely a symptom of lack of self-confidence. If your rejection is always hurting you, is always is always causing you to to doubt yourself and look internally and give up then it has uh, largely nothing to do with the product or the service or the job opportunity or whatever it is that you're that whatever it is that you know that, that applies to your situation it's all about your lack of self confidence cuz think about it think think theoretically if you could have full one like a, a tank of self confidence you could have full 100% like 100% tank of self confidence then nobody rejecting you would ever hurt you. Like think about it theoretically, right? And and I don't know if you know only narcissists are this confident. But um, if you're if you were if you were fully self confident, you know, and that's by the way why narcissists tend to to not care about what other people think about them because they're so confident in themselves and they think that highly of themselves that they uh, 
that they don't care. You know, they, they can move from rejection to rejection because it's like, ah, well, you just can't see how awesome I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, they don't care. Um, so the one thing that we can take away from that as non-narcissists is to, is to uh, try to build up our, our self-confidence, which is really the, the biggest way to learn how to overcome rejection is adding more to your confidence bank than you withdraw from your confidence bank. Every time you get rejected, it's a little bit of a, of a withdrawal. So the better you get, the more often you get rejected, the less that's going to hurt. The less of the the smaller the withdrawal. So it's like, okay, well then if if I can mitigate these withdrawals, now all I have to do is make sure that I'm making more what? Deposits, right? If I can make more deposits and have fewer withdrawals, then my confidence account will never be overdrawn and uh, and that rejection will hurt a lot less. Um and so how do you make deposits in your confidence account? Well, get yeses. Once you start getting some yeses, forget about the no's. Now learn from the no's, right? You don't want to completely forget about them. You want to learn from them. What could I have done better? How could I have learned from that opportunity? Um, but, uh, but, but remember the yeses um, and think about the yeses. Like, you know what? I did get a sale last week. I, I, did, I did set up that listing appointment last week. Or, you know what? I, I, I got this job interview. You know what I mean? Maybe I didn't get the job, but you know, uh, there's 112 applicants, only 25 of them got interviews. I got an interview. I mean, that's, that's kind of a yes. Like, you know, there was something that they saw, uh, but it, it didn't work out. So let's, let's do it again and see what happens next time. Um, so focus, uh, focus on the yeses and then, uh, and then get better at what you do. Um, that's why I'm so huge on self-education too. Listen to podcasts, read books. Um, those are all deposits, uh, all, all deposits in your confidence account. Every time you read a book that makes you a little bit better, you listen to a podcast that makes you a little bit better, you journal about something, you write what you're grateful for, you're like making steps toward being a better, a better version of yourself. Those are all deposits in your confidence account. Every morning when you wake up earlier than everybody else and you go to the gym first, that's another deposit in your confidence account. Doing what you say you're going to do, like all those things that they're depositing in your confidence account. Um, and the last and, and most important way to deposit in your confidence account is to keep the promises that you make to yourself. Mm. It's the most important thing. People wonder why they have a bad relationship with other people and with themselves. But when you examine the way that they live their life, they're constantly, constantly breaking promises they make to themselves. Yeah. They, they set a goal, they give up on it. They say they're going to work out, they don't. They say they're going to stop eating this type of food, they don't. They say they're going to you know, be at their son's baseball game and they don't show up. Yeah. You know, they, they say they're going to uh, stop you know, drinking every night of the week but they keep drinking you know like and and then and then that that just all all it causes is distrust with yourself like imagine imagine if somebody else in your life a friend of yours treated you the way that you treat you when it comes to your promises wow. if somebody in your life was like hey bro i promise you i promise you i'm going to be there and then they don't show up and then it's like oh i promise you man i'm going to do this and then they don't do it you're going to you're going to stop hanging out with them because you're going to be like you're you're just you're just a liar like, I don't, I don't like hanging out with you, man, because like you never do what you tell me you're going to do. You know, I don't trust you. How do you have a relationship with somebody that you don't trust? How do you have a relationship with yourself if you don't trust yourself? I, I, if you're always breaking the promises that you're making to yourself, you know, like, like treat yourself like you're going to treat other people, man. Like, like people, <laughs> people tend to do that where it's like, man, if I make a promise to you, if I make a promise to you, Joseph, uh, you know, I'm the kind of guy, I'll keep my promises. And it's like, and, and that's good. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. That's a really good thing. You should keep your promises that you make to other people. You should keep the commitments that you make to other people, but don't treat yourself differently than you treat other people. Hold yourself to the same standards that you would, that you would expect, you know, Joseph to hold you to. If I make a promise to you, Joseph, that I'm going to come to your event that you're holding, I'm going to speak, right? Then I'm going to do that. But if I also make a promise to myself that I'm going to get up at 4 a.m. every single day and go to the gym by five, I'm going to do that too. 
because I have to live with me. And if I don't like me, how do I expect other people to like me? You know what I mean? How, how, can, I, how can I expect other people to, to get on board for my vision, to be sold on me working for them if it's a job interview, to be sold on my product or my service? If they can tell subconsciously that I don't even trust myself, how are they going to trust me? How, how, how am I going to get to any transaction? How am I going to convince anybody of anything that I'm trying to work on if, if I don't even like me? You know what I mean? You got to keep the promises you make to yourself. And that's really the fundamental truth behind uh, learning how to overcome rejection is to build up that self-confidence bank account by keeping the promises you make to yourself. Man, that's powerful stuff, brother. It really is. So you've been doing door-to-door sales. You know, you've been getting the rejection. You've been battling it and going through it on your own, okay? Which led you to pretty much where you're at today. You know, talk to me about that transition of going from the door-to-door sales and learning what you learned, the power of the word no, dealing with the rejection, rejection, rejection after rejection, but getting better in the process. Yeah. Because that's what was happening to you. And then, you know, tell me that, tell, talk to me about that transition. Yeah. So it was kind of counterintuitive when I first made six figures doing door to door because I was 22, 23 at the time. And it was like a big deal for me. I was like, man, I just made six figures. Like, you know, most, uh, most people that are in their 40s and 50s are never going to make six figures. Like, this is a big deal. But then I realized pretty immediately afterwards that like I was pretty close to hitting a ceiling where I was already. You know, I was the second highest paid rep in the entire office of like 30 plus people. And it was my first full year doing it. The other, the only guy that beat me had been doing it for like seven years and had a whole client list of people that gave him referrals and all these other things. And he worked twice the amount of hours that I worked. I would work like 20, 25 hours a week. He would work in the mornings and the afternoons, do businesses in the mornings and, and, and residences in the afternoons. And I would only do residences in the afternoon. But he only beat me by like 15, 16%. You know what I mean? So I was like, so if I double my work, I'm sure I could increase my income by 40, 50%, you know, but even, and even if I could double it, that's cool. But like, uh, but that would be the max that I would be able to do here. And, and, wow. uh, and also when I looked into my future and saw some of the guys that have been in that, in that industry for, you know, a decade plus, I was like, I don't know if I, I don't know if 33 year old Travis wants to be knocking doors still. You know what I mean? I, and, and I don't know if I necessarily want to. And so the only alternative in door to door is like either keep knocking doors or you work for a giant corporation and you become like a regional director or something like that. And you make money that way or you start your own company doing door to door. But that wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do. And I knew I don't have foresight at the time to be like, all right, I'm 22 and 23. I'm a millennial. There's probably going to be a shift in my lifetime from doing business in person to doing business online. And I have no idea how to do this online thing. So I should probably figure that out at some point. And that's when I got into podcasting. I was just like, I, I know that I don't want to be doing door to door anymore. Um, but I don't know what I want to do. Because at that point, it was even that was like, a, that was like a low point for me, because I had seen some success at that point, you know, and it was like, but it was in an area that I wanted that I want to be successful in. So I was like, man, well, now I have a degree that's completely useless. I'm 22, 23. I don't have any skill sets outside of this one skill set of door to door, which I also now now know that I don't want to do. So I was like, well, what do I do now? And like that was when I was like, do I be a firefighter? I looked at FBI applications. Like I looked at everything. And then ultimately it was just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I just started diving into personal development really for the first time in my life. Uh, actual self-help, personal development, reading books, listening to audiobooks, listening to podcasts, all that type of thing. And, and, and that's when I discovered podcasting for the first time and was like, this seems like it'd be a lot of fun. And just kind of started my own show. Um, people started asking me uh, how to do podcasting. So I started doing some coaching on the side. 
turned into a full-time business, started running some masterminds uh, with people in that space, uh, started doing uh, higher ticket coaching and then turned that into a course. And then along the way, people kept asking about how did, how, hey, Travis, how did you get that guest? How did you go interview that person? How did you get a hold of them? How did you get in touch with them? And so that's eventually what ended up leading to the software company, which is which is like really the main focus now um, these days. So yeah, it all kind of, you know, piggybacked and, and and built built on each other. Man, that's sweet, man. So how did you how did you find your niche in the podcast? It was an accident. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I I was gonna start it on sales because that was the only thing that I viewed that I had any expertise in. Yeah. But when I looked at when I searched sales, you know, I saw dozens of other podcasts. You know, like it's hard to be a 24 year old talking about sales when you're competing against somebody like Grant Cardone, who's also talking about sales, who's been doing it for three decades and right. has all the credibility in the world to talk about sales. Yeah. And so I was like, well, that seems like a pretty saturated space. Why do I think that I was successful in sales? And the answer was I got around people who were way better than I was and learned from them. So I was like, oh, networking, that seems like a cool thing to talk about. But I figured it'd be the same way as sales. And it wasn't to my surprise. So I started a show about networking because I felt like it was a good topic. I felt like it was something that I needed to get a lot better at. Um, I needed to build my own network because I didn't know anybody at the time that was successful in business um, coming from the background that I had. So it was like, well, this is going to help me become a better networker. And it seems like a topic or a niche that is not being filled by anybody right now. So I just kind of stepped into it. Yeah. Now, your, your, the name of your podcast is Build Your Network. I mean, you're not just going after one. I mean, you're hitting some heavy hitters out there. You've got some an amazing people, amazing guests on your show, which definitely goes back to the, you know, not, you know, the power of rejection, right? And not being worried about reaching out to these people because I'm sure you've had some no's in the midst of it, you know, but you've also got a lot of yeses because you've had some pretty heavy people on there, you know, that have contributed. And then on top of that, you've also been, you know, you've been mentioning some news and some, uh, you know, Forbes magazine or Forbes, you know, on as, um, you know, top 10. Uh, Why do you think that's happened? Is it, it's. I know we talk about content, right? We we know that. Of course, you gotta you gotta have good content, right? But it ultimately is a little bit deeper than just content. Credibility, authority, consistency uh, were really the big things. Like, if you create quality, consistent content over a long enough period of time, like you're gonna have some success. And I made it my goal to basically go out and make my guests the quality content that I was getting because, like I said, I had I had an, at least enough self awareness at the time to be like, nobody's gonna listen to this show for me. At least. Right. Not yet, right? Yeah. Like uh, now I feel like a lot of my listeners listen because I'm the interviewer and I'm the host and they like the, my style or whatever. But especially at the beginning when nobody knew who who I was, like people didn't listen to it for me, but they would listen to it if I went and got these guests on that they already knew, like trust, recognize it or respect it in some way. And so that really became really became my goal and uh, just started kind of piling on, on each other. You know, the snowball kept big, getting bigger and bigger and started growing on its own eventually because... Uh, because we were able to to leverage you know certain guests to get more guests and this guest to get that guest and then eventually just kind of started picking up on its own and uh, and that was you know the, the the rejections were in abundance at the beginning and then just got less and less and less the further we moved along and we, you know, we obviously still get rejected because I'm always trying to reach out to 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 better and better and better uh, people all the time so we still get rejected. Um, but it's just definitely not as much as it was in the beginning. But if you can, if like I said, if you can just kind of like keep your head down, keep focused on on the end result, and and keep putting in the work, then you know you, you can make it happen. It's just going to take some time. Yeah, yeah. Would you? Is there anything that you can think of that those three C's, the power of pushing through rejection, would never apply to? Definitely not that last one. You know, 
self-confidence is, is that's the cheat code to overcoming rejection. If you're fully self-confident, you know, if you believe that you have Amazon, you know, if you're Jeff Bezos, if you believe that your product is literally going to change the world, and you believe that to your core and you're extremely confident about that, then the first few rejections don't matter. They're just like, well, the, like they're not rejections at that point. It's just they're, they're not, they're, these people just aren't the right fit. Yeah. You know, the, like the right fit is going to get it. The right fit's going to see my vision. The right fit is going to come on board with me. Like it's not a mat, like, when, when people don't believe in, in my software concept or don't invest in my software company, it, it no longer like, like hurts me from that perspective because I believe enough in what we're building. And I know that I, I know that it's just about finding the right people to believe in the same thing with me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not a matter of like, oh, time to shut down. You know, pe- people, people give up too easily, man. Like they, they give up with such a small amount of evidence. It's like go gather a thousand data points, not four data points before you give up right. on something. That's how most people are. It's like, well, I have an idea. And then they talk about it with their friend circle next time they're at the bar. And then their two buddies who have no idea about anything in business who both work crappy dead end jobs are like, that's a dumb idea. And they're like, you're right. And then they give up on it. And then they go back to their dead end job. Yeah. And that's the cycle. That's yeah. what most people do. Like you need a lot more data points before you make before you have an informed decision, before you can make a decision based on what people are actually, you know, think about it. But if you have enough, my point is if you have enough self-confidence, like you're going to be able to push through those rejections and, and just get to the people that that are your people, get to the people that do believe in it, get to the people who are going to get on board for the vision. It's yeah. just, some people just don't have enough patience and don't have enough thick skin to, to, to find those people, you know, and that's when you give up when you're three feet from gold. Yeah. You just mentioned something. I think that's very powerful. You know, when you, you, you share it with the wrong people, you know, your vision that you get in your heart is not an eyesight. It's from the heart. Mm. You know, and when you start to share it with people, it's not their vision and they try to look at it with their eyes and they can't see it. <laughs> yep. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, you know, a Facebook, you know, he invited five people to his dorm room and only two showed up. Yep. And yep. Facebook was created. Exactly. You know, it's not that the other two, yeah, the other two didn't believe in it, but it wasn't their vision. They weren't yep. going to see it, you know, and it's powerful about what you said is like, we share things with people, you know, number one is when we get a vision, we have to let it grow within us. Otherwise, it's just a thought. It's just something that pops up, you know, yep. and we get excited about it. We share it with somebody, but because they don't have our vision, which they're not supposed to. Okay. All right. Um, then, you know, because we haven't really let it set root in us, we share it and they talk us out of it. Yep. hundred percent, man. I mean, look at Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V will tell you all day long. He says, he says, one of my biggest mistakes. And now he doesn't, you know, dwell on his mistakes. He says, I had a, I had a chance to invest in a couple guys that were starting a business and he chose not to do it. Yep. And he's Uber. just like, I didn't think it would take. And it was Uber, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's like, I, I missed out on $20 million. Yeah. You know, and now of course. Minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, he says if he would have invested in Uber, he would have been able to buy the jets already. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he had opportunity to be like one of the first checks in, into that company. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And that's Gary V, you know, like the dude, he's, he's a savvy business person, you know, it's just, but, but they didn't, but they didn't like people, people have these ideas that depend on other people in their lives. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like they'll have an idea and then they'll go to the person that they think is going to be the biggest proponent of their, of their idea. That's going to fund their company or they're going to partner with them on it, or they're going to help sell it, or they're, they're going to do something. Right. And they take this vision of that person, that person shuts it down. They're like, well, I guess it's not a good idea. And yeah. it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why don't you take it to like 
45, 50 more people. And then if all of them react that way and they're all pretty smart in that area, maybe at that point you should maybe throw in the towel. Wow. Um, but like three people, two people, like you have an idea and you're going to let one person decide whether or not you continue doing it. You know, like the, the guys at Uber didn't have the idea and then go to Gary and then he said no. And they're like, well, Gary V says no. So it isn't a viable business. They were just like, all right, well, let's go find somebody else. And they went and found a bunch of other people. And now they're Uber. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's that it's that self-confidence. That self-confidence. I mean, exactly. Yeah. We had them in Costa Rica. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. So, if, you, if your confidence is that fragile, you're never going to get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Bro, this has been powerful. So for our listeners, man, you know, we talked about rejection. We talked about the power of no. You know, we've talked about consistency and and then even just the self-confidence, man. And that, that's just a powerful thing because when you can really dive into that, you know, and have that self-confidence, then here comes your conviction behind what you believe. Here comes the consistency, you know, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's eating right, whether it's, you know, the sales training or starting your own business or starting your own podcast. Because for me, I didn't have the self-confidence in, in, in the podcast. You know, yeah. you're the one that gave it to me, man. You gave me the tools to be like, you know what? This ain't as hard as I'm making it out to be. And there was enough for me to say, you know what, I can, I can get this. Right. And, and that was one of, but that was one of those ways that I mentioned was, was get better, you know, yeah. getting better is a way to deposit into your self-confidence account. You know, like you're investing into our podcast uh, coaching product was an investment into your own self-confidence that yeah. like, oh, I went from not having any idea how to do this to knowing exactly how to do it. Now I have more confidence to take on this venture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, whereas if you just would have been like, ah, I, I got this course, but the coaching's expensive. Uh, yeah, maybe, you know, you'd probably just still be sitting there without a podcast. Of course. But you <laughs> took the step to invest into your own self-confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and, and that's, that's why I'm so big on, on continued self-education, you know, always trying to learn and, and pick up new ideas and things and, and read more books, especially around the thing that you're trying to get good at, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Travis, you've got your hands in a lot of stuff right now. You've got the Guestio, which is the software to help other people get connected, you know, for whether it's speaking events, live, virtual, podcast, but you also still have your podcast courses that people can get help, you know, get started on just like I did. What is the best way for people to reach out to you, to find you, to connect with you? Because one thing that I've been impressed so much about you from the very get-go is when I had signed up for your 30-day course, you know, at some point in that time, we became friends on Facebook. And though we didn't connect all that well, I still kept on watching you, and you were as genuine as genuine can be. And when it came out for you to offer the VIP, I'm like, I've been watching this dude enough that he's the real deal. What's the best way for people to connect with you? Probably just my website, man. It'd probably be the best way. And I, and I appreciate you saying that. Um, it's right here scrolling on the bottom of the screen. But if you're listening, it's travischabell.com, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. -L. Uh, kind of under construction right now, but um, it's like some of the information's outdated, but my socials and my email and everything is still on there. So if you want to get a hold of me, that's a good way. Awesome. Awesome. I got a question for you. What does the words purpose through pain mean to you? For me specifically, it takes me back to you know, some of the more painful moments in my life. And, uh, but reminds me of the amazing things that came out of some of those moments and, uh, the lessons that were learned, the, like when, when, when something really seemingly bad happens to you, it's really difficult later to say that you're like thankful for it. You know what I mean? It, you're kind of just like so much good has come from this, but it's so hard to say that I'm thankful for that because it sucked. 
and 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 if I had control over it, I wouldn't have wanted it to happen or allowed it to happen, but it did. And uh, and now it's up to me to sit here, whine, complain, fester in my turmoil for the rest of my life, or it's up to me to take responsibility and move forward in a way that helps me, helps those around me and helps make the world a better place as a whole. So I think that the purpose of pain is finding purpose in it. And, uh, and if you look at it as, as just a, a bad negative thing, then, you know, life's going to be rough for you because yeah. that's, you know, pain's part of life. It is literally part of the prescription of living life on this earth is, is pain. Um, and you're not going to make it through without feeling some of it. So you better learn how to create purpose in it or it's going to be really difficult. Yeah, man, that's good stuff, brother. Travis, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for being on here. I'm really honored, honored to call you my friend. You know, honored to, uh, you know, be a golfing buddy of yours. Yes, sir. <laughs> and uh, just looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. Guys, I can't tell you enough out there to, to, to reach out to Travis, whether it's listening to his podcast, Build Your Network, or reaching out to him on building your own podcast, or even looking for guests. This is the man to do it right here. He's, he's humble as can be. Not only does Travis, you know, he has a wife and a beautiful baby, but he's a man of his word. And I can, I can really resonate with that because I strive every day to do that. You know, there's times I come up short, but there's also times I don't. And, uh, you know, you were, I just want to say you're very inspirational to me, you know, and what I've been going through for the last couple of years and just knowing that, Hey, there, there's a chance there's, there's, there's possibility in all this. And even the connection that we made together and then the invite out to Costa Rica for your mastermind, that was a game changer for me, you know, and I made some really great connections out there. And um, so I just want to encourage you, brother, in the midst of everything that you're going through, man, keep it up. Cause there's a lot of people, uh, you know, they're looking towards you, you know, they're looking at you and um, you know, really, really pressing in for you. I appreciate it, bro. And um, um you know, humbled, humbled that you would say that I inspire you because uh, you, your story and, and everything you've been through and the, and the person that you are, despite all of that and because all of that um, inspires me. So um, I appreciate you and uh, thanks for bringing me on the show. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Through Pain podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to share with a friend and leave a five-star review on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe through your favorite podcast host so you won't miss a single episode. You're one step closer to finding true freedom and breakthrough.